Hello and welcome to the Two Trees Podcast. We're here to talk about angels and demons, ghosts, the pagan gods, and the weird corners of the Bible. We're talking about the beliefs of the ancient world, the way that they talked about the supernatural world, all to help you understand the people of the Bible and to be able to engage on a deeper level with the text of Scripture. But most importantly, we're here to show you Jesus. As Deuteronomy 10.17 describes him, the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. My name is Martin Listener here, and I am the new host of the Two Trees Podcast. Woo woo. Except until I introduce everybody else here. I'm here with John Dillon. I know him. And Jacob Kessling. What's up, guys? And Rose. Thank you for that. That was so you nice. You were very of you. nice. Yeah, call so. me by my own name. Well, she just gave me some cherry cobbler. I always or something, call you by so your name. No, I had you don't. to. You... Mostly I do. Mm. Uh, we were just trying out to see who could do it better out of the two of us. John wins by default. Obviously, it's his podcast, so I'm going to give it to him. But you guys can vote in the comments down below <laughs> who you think is the better one of us there. But if you are enjoying the podcast here, make sure to share it on social media. That's where we are going to get a bigger audience. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts specifically. Uh, that's where we get the most push out as far as that goes. So what have you guys done that's fun this week? I'll tell you mine first. I went to Myrtle Beach for the whole week. Uh, you I win. thought you looked a little glowing over there, yeah. a little bronzed skin, yeah, happening. Yeah. I'm a little darker than you, Jacob. I'm more red. <laughs> <laughs> Myrtle Beach has some terrible like memories of horrible sunburn when I was there. I think we went on a spring break, and I'm not one that like tans easily. Um, usually, my first first or two first two sun exp- exposures are serious burn, and then it turns into some tan stuff. So anyway, Myrtle Beach. Was ter- it was absolutely terrible. That's I mean, I was in serious yeah. pain. When you're a ginger, that's what happens, right? You just go straight to burn. Yeah, when, yeah. I'm not a Well, I'm not really a ginger, mm. although we, we spat out some redhead kids. You did, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps I carry some of those genetics. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is that way. My hair is not red, but I only burn. That is the extent of what my skin does. You know, I, well, I, I, I stay out of the sun now. I'm, I had, uh, I've had melanoma and some different kinds of skin cancer so i'm just like i ain't i'm not doing this so i don't i'm not on it much, much like anymore a, like we're really old sad. now i'm saying i'm still young and vital so <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. i'll go out in the sun that's no problem there but pay any, for it later anybody else got anything fun going on i'm excited to go see the fireworks here in, yes. in a little bit it's almost july 4th I, i'm not sure if we're supposed to talk about july 4th since we have international listeners mm. but this is our Independence Day, and we are not. I know we have people in Great Britain, and we love you guys, but long distance relationships are hard. And uh, right. so, we're it wasn't you, it was us, and we had to, mm-hmm. to move along. And we're going to be celebrating uh, your not being here, which sounds terrible. So, what I I really just want the fireworks and the barbecue. Yeah. John, I just got a notification we just lost all of our Britain listeners. Oh man, I so, knew uh, I should. Well, I love you guys. <laughs> You're so awesome, so kind. What did that one shirt say that we almost bought for Fourth of July? It was like America. you un. <laughs> no, it was like you ungrateful colonials or something like I'm, that. So long as there's a party, I'm in. I, I'm in favor of celebrating everybody's Independence Days. That's right. That's because you genuinely holidays. think everybody's a winner. Everyone, just, you know, I don't celebrate winter solstice, but I'm thinking of picking it up since you guys apparently do it, do man. That. It's it's epic. What? Yeah. Rose is her family doesn't do Halloween because no. it's pagan. It's bad, right. although it's not. But they do winter solstice. Hey, it's which what? straight up is weird. Okay, <laughs> I, it just seems like an odd combination. It's the least amount of time, holidays. though, right? It's the shortest day. Exactly. Right? It's almost like 
you know, but the thing is, is John and I actually celebrated summer solstice together this year. We did, yeah. We did. We played trivia. At, and I won. And you did win. And it was, but. Wait, but, who won? Was well, it okay. well, me and my people, me yeah. and my team, they carried yeah. me and I took all the credit is what happened. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is we didn't know this until John was petty enough to go up to the, you know. Don't MC act like you didn't want to know who won. Buffalo Wild Wings and say, so what was their score and what was our score? You know, it's so, I mean. <sighs> I needed to know that. If you're not keeping track, why play? I'm a winner. That's what I believe. I'm a good, too. good yeah. trivia player. Yeah. I had a, um, I was at just recently at a conference, and there was um, one evening that uh, the speaker or the host actually uh, called some of the youth up. And this is, by the way, this is kind of a little bit foreign to me. This is, um, it was a Holy Spirit renewal conference. I had an awesome time, met some great people, but this kind of thing I've not really seen before, uh, although I was familiar with what they were doing. But basically, they asked the youth, um, is there anyone out there? So they're in front of a crowd of maybe 300 people. And is there anyone out there that is standing out to you? Or they use the word illuminating or whatever, highlighted to you or whatever the case is. Not, not, not literally lit up, but just like, man, that person right there. And the next question was, is if, that per- if they're standing out, do you have a word for them? So I'm very intrigued. And at the same time, I'm like, how are they going to pick me? So anyway, they didn't. But what was interesting? Does that, that hurt was, your heart a little? No, bit? no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know what was going to what was going to happen. Um, and there was a lot of lot of things that were said, and uh, some people, you know, teared up. I, I don't know anything about any of the people that were said, so I don't have a clue whether it was true or what valid, whatever the case is. But one particular young man, about I don't know, he was 12, 13, He was very, he was kind of young. Said that there was a guy in the very front seat corner. Um, the guy in his mid twenties, um, and said, you know, you really kind of highlighted and said something to, he said, I, God wants you to know that he sees you. And he said something else. I, I didn't really listen to that. Cause like this, this, this young man started sobbing so like heavily Aww. and the host upstairs who was uh, up the front was holding the mic. I guess he said, he said something else right before or right during a sob or whatever, where to the point where he took the microphone and said, wait, wait, wait. Are you able to tell us what, what you said again? And he said, I, I, he came there for the evening because his church is like 35 minutes away. His pastor, he, I guess, apparently he has been on and off of, of things. He's, he goes, my full intention was to come here tonight, to go home, use, and commit suicide. And mm. I, I need, anyway, what was really, really cool was he, they invited a bunch of men to come up and just pray over this guy, and he just was, he just sobbed. And so... Um, he, he was back the next day with the shirt on several people bought him books. I guess he went and talked to some people who are um, dealing with like addiction deliverance kind of ministries. And this guy, I'm watching him in four or five days and I mean, total different countenance. I mean, it was really, really cool Mm -hmm. to watch that happen Mm -hmm. and to see that it came out of the mouth of a teenager and, and how it was just so timely. And there's, again, there's 300 people in the seats. I mean, it could be totally random. But I think something really cool happened, and God, you know, used the moment to redeem a kid, to save a kid, and I, I call him kid. But it was it was just it was really awesome to watch. I, so I'm towards in the back, and they said we need some guys to come up and pray. I'm I'm running up to the front to pray over the guy, and um, anyway, it was just it was just an awesome experience. Wow. Top that. I, Anybody I'm, else? I'm, I cannot. My, I my said barbecue. Is, yeah. I, no. <laughs> you said fireworks, if I remember. Fireworks right. are fun, yeah, but right. I, you know, Jesus stuff is better. It is better. I, I can't had Myrtle Beach that. until Jacob just completely. Yeah. I know. Threw it I, away I, I wanted to wait until last. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, 
I have nothing. Ran a red light. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> run a red light. I'm a law-abiding citizen. <laughs> you want to run some in Covington? It's just terrible. Some, Too many lights in a little no town. There's no one there. No one will know except that camera up there and that's Jesus. watching. Jesus. 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 That's so, true. He's not I actually tell got me. my first ticket in Covington for running a stop sign <clears throat> last year when I was. It was probably an unnecessary stop sign, or you just weren't paying attention. Don't admit to that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Confess. I really don't know what happened. Confess. I was just, she I told him, told him, I was like, I mean, I just turned 40 and I've never had a ticket blinking, blinking my eyes at him. And he's like, Wow, happy birthday, and handed me the ticket, and I'm like, dang it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Seatbelt violation, mm. tinted windows. He got you for everything. I have a minivan. There is zero cool. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I'm law-abiding, man. I'm a rule follower. Just Until you hit 40. And yeah, Right. And I just then like, it's whatever. downhill. You're yeah. like, you know what? It's time yeah. to start living. Stupid stop sign. <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking, uh, shocker, uh, about trees. Uh, we have Again? some some interviews that are coming up. Some really cool people are going to be uh, in the studio or at least on the audio for you to listen to. And so uh, I wanted to get into something that wouldn't be a series necessarily. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about one of the motifs in Scripture that we've chatted about quite a lot in our earlier episodes. But we've picked up a lot of listeners since we did the trees episodes. And, uh, and there's a lot of tree stuff in the Bible. And so what I thought we would do is we would compare and contrast a couple of the different ways that the Bible uses trees to teach us about God, to show us about ourselves, and in particular to take a look at two people. Uh, one of them is Joseph, and the other is Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and believe it or not, both of these men have a passage of Scripture that compares them to trees. And, uh, and so this can be confusing uh, for people who are, especially if you struggle with overly uh, literalizing what you're reading, uh, the Bible is filled with poetry, and a lot of the ways that it talks about things are poetic. Uh, the Bible loves to talk about people like they're trees, uh, people are planted, uh, they bear fruit, they're cut off, they're grafted in. The book of Galatians describes a, a Christian who's really growing and living a kingdom-focused life that God is really working in them, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so there it describes a Christian like a garden, and that they grow things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And that idea is central uh, to the entire gospel narrative, that it isn't just that we're going to go to heaven one day, that God has created us on purpose and for a purpose, and that while we are here on the earth, we are extensions or should be extensions of the kingdom of heaven. We should be like a tree that is bearing good fruit. Uh, Jesus uses this analogy all the time. And it can be frustrating for people because they want Jesus to just come right out and say what he means. And he almost never does that. Uh, he's very, uh, I hate to say cagey but he doesn't answer people's <laughs> questions. He asks them other ones, or he describes things in parables. John 15, 5, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. And so there it, it takes again that tree image of a vine. Now for most uh, people that I know, we don't think of a vine as a tree. 
We think of it as, uh, I don't know, plant. A vine. I we, was, yeah. It's a we vine. have a, a very real distinction. A tree is something that kind of stands up on its own vines. You got to prop up. Or has vines. bark. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, in the in the Hebrew context, the word eitz uh, covers a multitude of things, things that are made out of wood. And uh, a, a vine is a type of tree. It's the kind of thing that grows in a garden uh, or a winery. Uh, the Bible talks about in Matthew, for instance, and this one's in here for Martin because he was asking about this verse earlier. Uh, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this verse, really, I would like to use to just tee off our conversation. You can tell what kind of a tree you're dealing with based on its fruit. A person can bear good fruit or a person can bear evil fruit. It isn't just to say, well, if you have fruit or if you're fruitful, then you're godly. Because there's the fruit of wickedness as well as the fruits of righteousness. And so when we're looking at somebody, it isn't just enough to say, well, you're a tree, I'm a tree, we're all trees. But the Bible uses the illustration to describe both things, both something righteous and something unrighteous. You look like you're thinking about something. I actually, yeah, I actually am thinking. So my dad has an orchard on his farm. There's maybe, I'm going to say 50 trees. I don't know if I'm right or not. He has apple trees, cherry trees, some other fruit trees. And... Um, one big job they have is pruning the trees every spring. They start when it's still, it feels like winter to me, and they're out there, my mom and dad, and their gear, and they hauled all the grandkids out there, and they all prune. I do not, by the way. That is not, that is not my job. But it is good for grandparents and grandkids. So they spend hours, like several, over several weeks, pruning these trees. And I, when I watch the dedication they put into taking care of the trees, it, I know that fruit does not happen unintentionally you know like if you're bearing good fruit it's intentional but if you're bearing bad fruit you've worked on that too Mm. you know and i it it is convicting sometimes i can be really simple-minded and a tree is a perfect way for me to see a lesson in a story well i think we as a people struggle to move past being utilitarian a tree is a way to get cherries or a tree is a way to get apples we very seldom stop and see a tree is a way to see beauty. Oh, or, come on. There's a whole poem about it. I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely, lovely as, as a tree. tree. Yeah, but would you, you say that's that, you the nerd. usual response to a tree? Most people driving around are just stopping. I mean, maybe when the trees do something spectacular, like grow like a sequoia tree or, or change their leaves. Or change their right, leaves. Yeah. Uh, but most people aren't, aren't really interested in where their apples come from. They come from the grocery store. Uh, but to the people of the biblical world, a tree was a mini sermon. It was a living thing. And the Bible uses this illustration in lots and lots of different ways. Uh, when I was a boy, my grandpa also had a small orchard, uh, not 50 trees. I think he had like four trees. Uh, one of them was a cherry tree. Let's define orchard. Uh, four trees, I think, makes an orchard <laughs> in, in my mind. But there were these, uh, these really beautiful uh, cherry trees, and uh, the birds loved them. They would, we were always trying to keep the birds from eating 
the 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 cherries out of the tree. There were bugs all over them. So as a little kid, we would try to catch bugs and things that were growing on the tree. But at nighttime, the bears would come down out of the mountain and kind of climb up in the tree and just shake it around until a bunch of cherries fell out of the tree. And so what you had is this this plant that really became a home and a blessing for the entire mountainside that was around it. It wasn't just something for my grandfather. It had a place and a purpose and was treasured by creatures all over the place, even things that you wouldn't ordinarily want in your garden, like a bear. Uh, they knew this tree was there, and they would come down all the time to check out this tree. And so when the Bible talks about us bearing fruit, it isn't so that we'll stop sinning. It's so that we will bring the fruit of God into the world around us, and we become either a blessing or a curse to the people who are around us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, Jesus gives uh, what is one of the more familiar parables uh, in the Bible. Uh, let me see. Uh, Jacob, would, would you read that for us? He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We're going to stop there, because this is Jesus trying to describe to people what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's like something incredibly small buried in the earth that becomes a tree and provides, uh, you would assume he would say it provides mustard. But instead, he says, it provides shade, it becomes uh, large, it becomes a home for the birds of the air. Its purpose is not itself. And I feel like for many Christians, we assume that the fruit of the Spirit is to make us better people. Mm. It's about self-actualization, about self-discovery, about being a better you. And I can't stress to you enough that that is not the purpose of the fruits of the Spirit. It's to bless others around you. It's to pull your eyes away from yourself and to create new life or to enrich the lives of those who are living around you. And, uh, and ultimately, we see this really in Acts. The, the imagery becomes that of Jesus as the, the fruit that hangs on a tree uh, and offers up himself as a sacrifice uh, for everybody. Uh, Probably the most famous passage in the Bible that talks about trees is the book of Psalms, chapter 1, where, where it says, you know, that um, it's like still waters, that uh, we bear a righteous man is like a tree. Uh, but that isn't the only place in the Bible that that particular poem is used. And so I assume that you're familiar with Psalm 1. If you're not, you can go read it. Uh, but a, a hidden treasure that you may not be as familiar with is in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and so many people just assume, oh, let's, let's avoid that one. That sounds like negative emotions. Uh, but it's a really wonderful book. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verses 7 and 8, we have a retelling of Psalm chapter 1. Perhaps uh, Psalm chapter 1 is based on the teachings of Jeremiah. Perhaps it's the other way around. Uh, but Martin, would you read that for us? Yeah, sure. Um, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. 
and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, this is really a cool passage because it's, it's describing a human being as a tree. That's what's happening here. Whether it's a good tree or a bad tree, you can tell in the context. This is a good tree because this man is blessed by God. He's trusting in the Lord. And so what he does is he then says, do you know what? I'm going to sit and I'm going to look at this tree and I'm going to think about God. I'm going to use this tree as a bridge between the everyday life and the unseen realm that's around me. It becomes a visual sermon about what God intended humans to be. And so then a tree isn't just a piece of wood or potential paper or a canoe or whatever plan you have for a particular tree. It is a, a living thing on its own. It is a beautiful part of the creation of God. I, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to go back. A, can, uh-huh. a canoe? Like, yeah. of all the things you have looked at a tree and thought, I know what I'm going to do with that. You, a, a canoe. John's a I, I think it would be really cool John's to a make a canoe. I've seen people make, like, these... Like a dugout r- canoe? Oh, well, that would be cool, too. I don't know. I was thinking more birch bark, but, you know. Mm. Hey. So, John, I got a question. Uh, you mentioned this, and I think that's a great point. Like you said, bearing the fruit of the Spirit isn't for yourself. It's for those around you. I think that's a wonderful point. If we all are to bear the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, who is indulging in that fruit? The people who are around you, your wife, your children, uh, the people that you work with. Do Do you feel like people maybe, and this is maybe a personal statement for me too, get stuck enjoying the fruit of others? Oh, yeah, I think that's... For sure, a thing, and not producing it themselves. Uh huh. That's that's a, a danger, but that would be a description uh, of a glutton. For instance, the the bears that would come down into my grandfather's tree, uh, the tree didn't care who hmm. ate its cherries; it just produced them. Hmm. It was its nature to do so. Now to carry. Now, obviously, humans aren't really trees. Uh, we're we're humans, but we are tree-like, and so it becomes an analogy. And so don't try to overthink it. Just try to take in the beauty of it, the the imagery here. And so if someone is always around someone who is peaceful, one part of their life at least will be peaceful. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the, uh, the Beatitudes. Jesus actually begins the Beatitudes with the word blessed. I think I, I like that idea, though, of the, the gluttony, because to me that just means like you eat too much on Thanksgiving and you have to loosen your pants a little bit. But to me it's like you're, I don't know, maybe I'm way off on this, but indulging in the fruit of others to an excess and not producing any, to me is gluttony just the yeah, same. God intends every Christian, all of them, to bear the fruit. Hmm not to just mooch off of the goodness of others, but each of us are to be the Beatitudes. Each of us is to live and to be like this tree. And it it isn't about rationalizing, well, okay, that's enough for you. Let's let the other people have some of this patience that I have. It's, It's just to be given by nature of what we are. And the imagery of the garden, the purposeful growing of something, viewing God not just as a ruler in the heavens, but as a divine gardener is something that goes back to the beginnings of human history. All peoples. 
I really we're thinking this way. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was actually thinking about what Martin said. That's really good. I hadn't thought of uh, somebody, um, an older man at our church years ago, mentioned the same idea. He said. A tree bears fruit for others when we were talking about through the spirit. It's real basic, but it was like to me because, um, yeah, like if I bear the fruit of the spirit, it's all for me. You know, like I'm going to take those fruits and live them out and it'd be living my best spiritual life. And then I, when I read through the fruits of the spirit, and I think the key is that they're fruits of the spirit. They're not your own. You don't do this by, you know, pulling up your bootstraps. I mean, it does. Self-control is self-control. I get that. But it takes the spirit. And if you are bearing fruit for others and they just keep taking from you, well, you just have to keep giving. But I think that's where testimony is so important. You know, you can give to people, but also testify to the Spirit's power of why it's there in your life and how it can be there too. Um, There's this poem that I like, and I don't have to read the whole thing, but the last two lines says, For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so if you're bearing fruit for others, you're not going to run out because it's not you that's producing it. It's the spirit in you. That's right. Yeah. And I just, I have to remind myself of that. The word that that I would use maybe to describe that is the word abundance or Mm -hmm. Eden. That's what the word means, that there is enough. We live in this world and we start rationing stuff. Is there enough of this? Is there enough of that? How much is there? Are there enough coffee filters for this particular camping oh, trip? Uh, and so all kinds of different things may come to mind. And so Christians will focus in on this concept of stewardship to the extent and what they mean by stewardship is frugality. Or stinginess. Or stinginess. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Bible is talking about at all. It's about blessing others. How can I become a great blessing. For instance, uh, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's not just personal righteousness. For those who desire to be righteous, to be around righteousness, you are part of that in other people's lives. Blessed are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. Uh, In verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We get this constant idea from Jesus and from the Old Testament as well that there is enough, that God's goodness is great enough to cover the needs of ourselves and our friends and our lives. But we don't really think that. Well, he showed us that by giving manna enough for one day and don't take more than you need. I'll uh, provide yeah. tomorrow. Uh-huh. And he says that in his in his prayer, give us this day our daily our bread. Our daily bread. Yeah, you don't need tomorrow's bread today. You need today's bread. He says each day has enough trouble of its own. And I try to live every day, every tomorrow today to make sure all my bases are covered. And I have to, that's a, that's a spiritual fault of mine that I have to remind myself and we've of. We've been talking constantly. about that with Pastor Jonah as well. We're reading through, um, the, what's the book we're reading? Out, Out of, of the, the Silent, Silent Planet. Planet. And the idea that there is enough. And the, the Chnau, the Hrasa in that book, are, are struggling to understand the idea of lack. That they live in a way where their relationship with God is, is trusting. And their relationship with each other isn't bent. And so you don't need to withhold from another person or another species of mm-hmm. Martians yeah. to, to save up for yourself because Meleldil or, you know, the Lord will provide. And, right. and that's, that's one of his names. Yeah, Meleldil is what they call the Lord in the, in the book. Uh, it's written by C.S. Lewis. It's a really great book. 
Um, I didn't know if everyone knew that. I assume they did. Our, our audience is super intelligent. Yeah, right. Uh, but if you look at Jeremiah, the very first word in this is blessed. It, it should draw your mind. This is a hyperlink. This is the stringing of pearls. Uh, you, if you go to Psalm chapter 1 and it describes the man who is planted by the stream, he's blessed. This is the idea that the fruit of the Spirit is the blessing of God. Not the blessing of you. It's not your patience. It's not how great you are. But this is something that because you have planted yourself in the presence of God, you begin to grow these things. Do you think we dumb down that word a little bit too much today? Blessed? Blessed? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think of somebody sneezing. Say, bless, bless you. you or something like that. But also just, you know, something goes well today. Man, I was blessed today because, you yeah. know, I hit every light green through Covington, didn't get a speeding ticket or something along those lines. <clears throat> but instead of it actually meaning like God is providing for me what I need, that's why I'm blessed. Not because I got lucky at something, not because I was able to make it in time and I woke up late or something like that. But just, I think we dumb that word down so much that we don't even catch things like this. Well, you and I were just talking about this last night, about the idea of resting in the presence of God as a way of um, strengthening your own heart and your own mind, that a fruit, a plant begins to grow, not like a tumbleweed that rolls into the garden, gets a bit of sun, gets a bit of water, and then rolls along, but as something which is there to stay, hmm. that has put down roots, that this is where I am. And the tree is a tree or is a plant that takes forever mm -hmm. to do what it does. Uh, I've got tomato plants at my house growing and they're growing like a foot a day. I mean, they are out of control growing fast. Uh, but if I were to plant a tree, that's a lifetime wait. Right. And, and you're probably not going to get to experience it. Your children will. Um, and so when we're, we're reading this text, it's important for us not just to think of it in terms of, all right, what's the moral for me to take out of here? But I would encourage you, what's the beautiful thing that you see? Hmm. And then to go look at a tree, to, to go and to go do this, to look at something and begin to view yourself and God as, as together. And so I, I want uh, for you guys who were with me on the Israel trip, uh, Rose was there and Jacob was there, to imagine two different places that we saw. One of them is the Negev, all the way down in the Dead Sea. Can you picture it in your mind? It was hot. It was sandy. Uh, it Jacob was, is shaking Jacob his head. Has, uh, his brain has <laughs> melted. I can't uh, imagine it. And there was another place that we went called Dan. And Dan is far in the north, and Dan is filled with rushing waters and springs. And we went on a nature hike. And if you were to ask yourself, where between these two places would I find an abundance of trees? Dan should come to mind. We took that long walk through the woods twice. Well, I mean, we did. Didn't you guys kind of go off menu and hike somewhere else? And... I had other trees to see. Yeah. It's possible, but I still saw them. Mm -hmm. But that's the image that he's talking about here. He says he is a tree that is planted by water. It doesn't fear when the heat comes, when the rain is gone. We went to Israel, and our tour guide could not stop showing us cisterns. That just really did not bother me. Like every it place you. we went, they was like, "This is a place uh, of biblical importance." I can't wait to show you the cistern. And I kept saying, "How about we stop and we focus on the biblical part, and then we end up at the cistern?" That would be my preference, but 
Yaksuk did not think that way. Listen, he had a, he had we a don't vision. Have, we don't have useful, beautiful cisterns in Ohio that we like to stand in and sing. If it's an Israel thing, just, I mean... Do you ever think, like, if the ancient Israelites knew that tourists were coming from around the world <laughs> to sing in their sewers... It was not. I, I think sewer. that would really... weird, Or their water tank. Water tank. <laughs> I think, like, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> anyway, maybe you've been to Israel and you enjoyed the singing in the cisterns and things, and that was your jam, but... Uh, I, I just want to point out that this isn't a, about your natural skills. This is about God's nature. And so you can grow fruit, both righteous and evil. And so the Bible gives us two, well, it gives us way more than two, but we're going to look at two of them today, uh, of Genesis chapter 49, which talks about Joseph as a tree. And we're going to look at the book of Daniel, which talks about Nebuchadnezzar as a tree. Uh, and so, Rose, would you look at Genesis 49, 22 through 26? Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. So I hope, Rose, you see why I included the Beatitudes. Uh, in our chat earlier. She was confused as to why I would go off topic and hit the Beatitudes. But it's because this idea of trees and blessings are blended together in the text. You will find that trees are either a blessing or a curse, that it's one or the other. You don't find neutral trees in the scripture. They're, they're either on one side or they're on the other. And so let's take a look at verse 22. And I'm interested to hear your takeaways uh, from reading this. What do you notice in verse 22, guys? Jacob, you should have some beautifully, wonderfully deep thoughts for us, which you've been hoarding to yourself. What, uh, what seems important to you in that verse? Um, I'm, I'm actually just been my thought process pretty much the whole time. It's, as Martin made a comment earlier, was especially reading the attitudes, all of this stuff, um, kind of is opposing to how the t typical Christian walk is. Is this is a personal relationship, and I'm going to hide away, and I'm going to become better, and I'm just going to work on me, and and the whole time, all the pictures of Scripture um, are a like the trees aren't there just for the tree. It is it is to provide shade, it's to provide food, it's for people for animals and in process of doing that you know you have seeds that are planted in different places all over the place there's like there's so much to all this and it, it's affirming for me um that this is not this isn't about me it's just right. not it's never been about me and i think that we get so focused on on working on me and we re don't re realize that when i start to put me beside and actually love on people that I'm working on me, that God designed us to one another, not to isolate. God designed me. So anyway, the whole, I, this whole idea is for, for that. So Joseph, I, I look at the, the branches run over the wall. I look at something that's fruitful, but at the same time, I'm looking at like, um, this is someone who's providing shade, not even within his city, but people outside his city. He's a blessing. 
he's being a blessing or is a blessing to those around him, but those even outside his perimeter. That's kind of what, that's my thought process. Well, Cause I'm thinking wanna, through this idea of how, how yeah. being a tree is not just about a tree. This is about right. what it provides for other people around. So him. you'll have people who they'll freak out and they'll be like mustard seeds. Are they really the smallest mu- a seed in the garden? And they, do they really grow up into trees? You're missing the whole point of what's being done here. It's not a science book. Yeah. It's trying to teach you a spiritual truth behind this. Uh, and so Martin, I'm curious about your thoughts about that. Uh, when it talks about why do Christians seem to use the fruit of the Spirit or the Beatitudes and instantly think self-improvement, being a better me, I'm going to take some time for myself, uh, that we don't really view this as a way of being uh, salt and light for other people nearly as much as we see these as ways of receiving a personal blessing ourselves. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my question leading in earlier, because that that's ultimately my thought process, too, and I've been guilty of this in the past as far as trying to make sure everything is rationed out perfectly. And I know Rose mentioned about living tomorrow today because we're just trying to make sure that we can provide for it. And I think there's been such a huge push, you know, especially here in the States, about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making sure that you're the one that's doing this. So when we read the Bible, we're looking at it as an instruction manual of what we need to do to then be able to produce the fruit that is there. But when you read it, it indicates that we can't do anything to produce the fruit. A note that I wrote down is you mentioned that we can produce fruit that is both righteous or evil, but I would almost argue that we can't produce the righteous fruit. That's that's the viewpoint that we kind of take. Right. It's like, well, yeah, we can produce this fruit. We no, just have to figure out yes. the right formula. We right. have to figure out you know which beatitude to do right at the right time, well, can, and then we can do it. Martin, can, like we were... I'm going to kind of, can you do any, can any of the Beatitudes exist without someone else? Can you be merciful mm. without a person to, to no. show mercy to? You, you, you if if you're going like, to try to go one another without other people, right. you can't. So so can can blessed or blessing happen outside of that relationship? Community. Yeah, I mean. It is required. Right. It isn't just enough that there's a tree. There mm. has to at least be two trees. Uh, there, there must be a garden. Uh, that we're intended to to be part of. Uh, and so I, I for sure see that. And uh, it's present here in uh, verse 22. Uh, there's Eden imagery here. It says, Joseph is a bough of a tree. He is a fruitful bough. And if you remember the story of Joseph, he goes through horrible stuff. But the great calling on his life is to rescue, really, the world around him from hunger. Without Joseph, Israel and Egypt both would have starved in the, in the great uh, hunger that took place there. And so it isn't just that he's a fruitful bough. He's a fruitful bough by a spring. These images come together, as they often do in Scripture, the idea that the tree without water is dead. Oh, and also in Egypt, I mean, okay, maybe not because I've never been there but I don't feel like that's well watered by springs the way that Canaan or future Israel, Palestine would have been. So mm-hmm. this must be more of a, is this when his dad is speaking blessings over Egypt? They probably had a lot of cisterns in Egypt, maybe. <laughs> they had a great big old river. Was, they still a, do. A yeah. river, but not a spring. Nile. There's a difference. Yeah. And so, absolutely, mm-hmm. there's a difference. And the thing that made Joseph great was not Pharaoh. Right. It was not the gods of Egypt. It was a spring in the mountains, which is how the Bible sometimes talks about the Lord. It says that his branches run over the wall. And, and that's a cool image because that makes you think of a garden, 
a walled garden that uh, is, is often how temple gardens were built or the courts of kings. The idea was you couldn't contain this tree. It was a gigantic blessing, and it just reached out in unexpected directions. And if you've ever stopped and just looked up at a tree, you'll notice they don't really do symmetry. They just go. There's, there's not. A, it's not thinking to itself, oh, I think it would be beautiful if I reached in a this-way direction. They twist and they turn. They, they're unexpected. And this is the image of Joseph. His life takes unexpected turns. In fact, to take it maybe even a step further, the tree grows where it can. Like if there's something blocking it in one way, it grows around it or grows through it, right? Because it's getting so much nutrients from the spring that it just it can't be stopped by that. So I think there's some imagery there that can help with that too. Yeah, it uh, continues to go on and talks about Joseph being attacked by people with bows. Um which are made from either bone, but typically they were made from wood. Uh, from There's are small arrows, eights, that are being cast at him. And it should pull your mind to the book of Ephesians, where it talks about uh, the arrows of Satan that are shot at us. Take up the shield of faith, where which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That imagery isn't something that Paul just pulled out of nowhere. He's been thinking about it. Israel has been talking about this since the book of Genesis, all the way back. This idea that there are human foes, that's true, but there is a foe behind those. There is an evil that is pushing an agenda into our world, just like there is a force that is presenting and pushing righteousness. Uh, That spring that makes Joseph great is laid out here. It says his arms were made agile. Not that his arms were, they were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. Not of Jacob, but the mighty one of Jacob. That's, that's God. He says, and it describes him then as a shepherd and as a stone. So what is God like? He's like a shepherd. He's like a stone. He's like a spring. The Bible is not telling you that God is a gigantic sheep. It's using imagery. And I was in a church one time, and that was a lesson. The guy was up there, and he was talking about Revelation. And he was like, and we all know that in heaven, God is a gigantic sheep. And I just about fell out of my pew. I, I couldn't. So if you're out there and you think that in heaven, God is a gigantic sheep, he's not. It's, it's a way of describing who and what he is. And then an interesting thing here happens. Verses 25 down through 26 describe the active hand of the blessing of God. Take a minute and count the number of times that God intervenes in a positive way to bless or to help Jacob or Joseph here. I'm counting six. You're counting six. So God, your father, will help you. The Almighty will bless you with blessings, that's three, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts of the womb, blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. That one goes with the last one. I mean, if you count help you and bounties, then Mm -hmm. we're up to eight. The concept mm -hmm. is here. Right. This isn't just someone rambling on about Joseph. This is uh, an artist 
who sat down to make a piece of art and ultimately inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us something. There's seven. That's not an accident. That's biblical Mm. poetry weaving symbols and thoughts into the text. And so what we find is that Joseph is a blessing because he rested in the presence of God. There's another character in the Bible that is described as a tree. Again, there's, there's a bunch of characters in the Bible, okay, who are described as trees. You can spend all day doing this. I love trees. That's why the podcast is named The Two Trees after the Garden of Eden story. Uh, and uh, so let's take a look at Daniel chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 17. Um, so if you read this and you're into poetry, there's a, there's a large chiasm here, uh, ring composition it's called. Uh, and so this is poetry as well. There's, this is elaborately structured and put together. Uh, but Jacob, would you mind reading this for me? Verses, uh, let's start in 10 and, and jump our way down to 17. It says, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and the top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Okay, we're going to stop there. You said go all the way to 17. I know, we're going to. We're going to. <laughs> Is this your first episode? Come on. I, I like <laughs> to stuff. interrupt. Jeez, I'm when sorry. are you such a rule follower, I'm just trying Jacob. to accomplish that which I set out to do. You are a good, good reader. Uh, so what we've got here is the tree of trees. This tree is like Yggdrasil. I mean, you can see this thing from one end of the world to the other. It's the greatest of the trees. And he became strong and its top reached to the heavens. This isn't any tree that I've ever seen. And I've seen some great big old trees. But this is a symbolic way that it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And so let's keep going. Verse 12. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all the, all the flesh or all flesh was fed from it. So that sounds really good, that this is someone who's providing, this is someone with great power, this is someone who people respect. But if you have read the earlier parts of Daniel, you know that Nebuchadnezzar has a God complex. He isn't looking to God as the great giver of life or uh, the great holy one, the mighty one. He is lifting himself up above God. He is filled with pride. And because of that, God doesn't look down from heaven at this wonderful tree, at this powerful tree, at the biggest of all of the trees and say, well done, good and faithful servant. As a matter of fact, Jesus would go on to say later, that you may have done all kinds of wonderful good things, but depart from me, worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And so if you're simply stacking up your good deeds against someone else's good deeds, you're going to end up confused here because the Bible is talking about more than that. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to launch into a second part of his vision. And this part is going to bring us into contact with some of the personalities that exist in the supernatural world. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, that Thus, thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. 
But leave the stump of its roots on the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let the beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is, na- is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Now, there's some strange things that happen here. Did you notice that it starts talking about the tree as a man? It says, let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. So this thing is a tree, a beast, and a man. This has serious Eden connections going on here. This is the greatest of all the trees, and yet there are those who are above him. There are creatures that are greater than we are, and there is one God above all that exists. And a proclamation comes down from above, and it says to chop down the tree and lop off its branches strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. That seems overkill, don't you think? If the purpose is just to kill the tree, uh, wouldn't chop down the tree do it? Well, no, it doesn't sound like they want to kill it. Because later it says leave the stump and basically make it stay alive as long as possible almost. That's the way I'm reading it. Yeah, something different is happening here. There is a judgment on this tree. The tree must be humbled. And it's not enough to say, but it was a really good tree. Think of all the birds that you just messed up. Think of all of the shade that isn't there anymore. There was good in that tree, but the Lord does not view this tree as a blessing. But that mentality is understanding that the tree produced that stuff Mm -hmm. instead of God producing it. Instead of seeing it as God producing those things. Exactly. And so it's, it's interesting to me because there's chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. That's the number four. Uh, let the beasts flee from under its branches is the, is the result of that. But there's this completeness to the judgment that's here. Leave the stump of its roots in the earth. I don't know if you guys knew this, but stumps can stay alive for a very long time, especially if they're connected to other tree root systems trees will share resources with each other. And I I didn't know that until I was reading about it. And I thought that's very compassionate of them uh, to do that. A a stump can stay alive for an incredibly long time, so long as the other trees are feeding it. But this tree can do nothing in and of itself. Its pride brings it down. Mm. This should remind you of Satan, of the fall Mm. of Satan. It should remind you of the line that pride goes before a fall. It should remind you of the wise man who built his house on the rock, but the fool who built a house on the sand. There's a thousand different directions that you can take this idea and run with it because it is a central concept to the imagery in the Bible. Leave the stump and bind it with iron and bronze amid the grass of the field. Let him be wet. Where, where does he get the water that it drinks? Mm, from heaven. From heaven. From the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed. There's, and that, did you catch the end of that? It says, let seven periods of time mm-hmm. pass over him. So again, this is a tree story that's connected to the number seven, except this seven is a seven of judgment, 
whereas the last set of seven was a symbol of blessing. And so the mm. same imagery can be used for both things. It isn't a one-to-one -one correspondence. You can't say seven is always good or mm. trees are always good. You have to look at the context of the passage. Go ahead, Rose. I just was remembering another passage. It's in Isaiah. I don't want to send you on a rabbit trail, but no, it good. says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Spirit of the Lord will rest on him of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Yeah. As you were What talking, happened to the kings of Judah? Well, it wasn't always good. As a matter but, of fact, it ends in spectacular <laughs> badness. Yes, it does. But out of the line of Judah comes the Messiah huh? and the Savior. So I'm not sure where that fits in with the story of Nebuchadnezzar exactly, well, but fits, I couldn't let it go while no, I, you, you were talking. That's good because it's almost a one-to-one -one parallel. The tree of the house of David is chopped down similar reason. Mm -hmm. God didn't bring judgment on David's house because they were just wonderful. It's because they were doing the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And just like Nebuchadnezzar is given grace in his own personal life, the house of David, which has a global calling, is truly the great tree, brings about a new branch, uh, this, the rod of Jesse, mm -hmm. the, the fruit that is going to be Christ. And um, so we find an intimate connection to not just what happens on the earth, but into the supernatural politics of the earth. Why is David's line broken? Why is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom cast down? Uh, there's a passage uh, in another place that talks about the, uh, the Amorite uh, being high as the trees. There's, there's another one that talks about uh, the Assyrian as a great tree. There, there's a tremendous number of these in scripture. And sometimes they talk about individuals. Sometimes they talk about dynasties, like you were just talking about. Sometimes they talk about humanity in like a big conglomerate um, lump, like uh, in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who does this. And sometimes it's talking about supernatural beings. Uh, we saw that the watchers, who are the, the divine court of the Lord, uh, it seems as though God asked their opinion. He sets the boundaries. Uh, I want Nebuchadnezzar humbled. Um, I'm open for suggestions, seems to be what happens here. Uh, and they, they give their opinion, and it's what happens. Uh, but there are other places in the Bible where divine beings or spiritual beings, if that makes you more comfortable, are described as trees. The book of Isaiah has a ton of this. Uh, take a look at Isaiah chapter 1 verses 29 through 31. Uh, I'd have Jacob read this, but I don't want to. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Jacob just walked out of the room, and so we're going to throw him under the bus. Isaiah 1, 29. Uh, yes, sir. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. So they, this is Israel, they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. You shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. This is in reference to Israel's idolatry. He's saying, listen, you chose your loyal, you chose the wrong tree. 
you should have chosen the tree of life, and instead you have chosen to define right and wrong for yourself. And so here, these false gods are described as oaks. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about pillars or Asherah uh, that are oak trees or tree pillars that were carved into the shapes of idols. Uh, it, and it says their gardens will burn, that they will not win. It, if you don't believe me, read the end of Revelation. It, it is pretty clear about this, that these are divine or, or supernatural uh, beings who are, who are in discussion here. Uh, let's look at another one in Zechariah 11, 2 through 3. Rose, would you get that one? I sure will. Give me one second. Sure. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Now, the Jordan River flows out of a place called Bashan, up in the mountain called Hermon. And it, it's linked by lots of springs and little tributaries, but its origins is in this place. And Bashan is a place that is connected to the underworld in Canaanite mythology and in uh, Jewish thinking as well. It's the place where the watchers came down to Mount Hermon and they made an oath. It's discussed in the book of Enoch and referenced in the book of Genesis 6. But it's part of Jewish folklore. They knew this place. It has real underworld connections. If you read the book of Joshua, it talks about a giant, the last of the Rephaim, whose name is Og, who is living in Bashan. And so this place has a direct connection to supernatural evil. And so when the Bible wants to talk about God's victory over the sinful world, or God's victory over the spirits of evil, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, it does so by describing them as a forest or as an orchard. Wail, O Cyprus. That's a tree. This For reminds me a little bit in the last book of Narnia, the last battle, where they're cutting down the sacred... or maybe not sacred forests, but the living trees. Yeah. And they're cutting them down, and the one shows up, and she's wailing for her lost brothers. And I wonder if this is maybe one of the references that Lewis would have taken. I, it it very well could be, except this would be the opposite. That's why I was trying to get the context. Yeah. This would be creatures of darkness wailing, wailing. in their defeat. Mm -hmm. The cedar, which are the great trees of the mountains, the great living things that tower into the heavens, on the slopes of the mountains, the glorious trees, they are ruined. The oaks of Bashan, the thick forest has been felled, and the shepherds are uh, wailing. They're, this is a sign of judgment. But on the other hand, the sign of judgment looks like it's coming on the trees, but the trees were created by God. Like they're suffering. Exactly. They're suffering from judgment and evil, but it's, they're the ones that are paying the price and it's not, so it's I not them. So I don't think this is really about God whacking trees over. Probably not. I don't think this is God looking up at a mountain and saying, I just hate those trees up there. And when I come down to fix the idolatry, the first thing I'm going to do is knock all those trees down, and then I'll feel better. Hmm. That's not what's happening. 
this is an image. Who is it that is high and lifted up in Bashan? Who are the great ones, the mighty trees? It's the principalities, it's the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And God is going to judge them. It talks about the roar of lions, which is how the Old Testament sometimes talks about demonic figures. It describes them in animal-like terms. But ultimately, we find that trees can be used a thousand different ways. Some good, some bad. Some righteous, some evil. Some for humans, some for kingdoms, some for demons, some for men, some for us. But ultimately, the greatest image that is based upon the tree is that of Christ that of hope springing forth into life. And in the book of Isaiah 11, one through three, uh, which I think is what you were referencing earlier, is this beautiful description of Jesus. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. It says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of counsel, Spirit of knowledge, four times. Again, we get this poetic instance. The number four often is used to describe completeness to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. Whatever direction you go, it's connected here. Jesus is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. And not to put words in anyone's mouth, but he is the tree of trees. So I don't know if you are used to thinking about trees this way. And maybe you haven't listened to our earlier episodes about trees, but I promise you, you are not thinking about trees nearly enough if you're reading your Bible. Let's go ahead and sign off, my friends. I'm wishing all of my friends a wonderful day. To all of our brothers in Great Britain, we're going to have Independence Day, but don't take it personally. You know what? You're cool too. So praying for you guys and can't wait to hear from you. And hoping that God continues to bless, I'll talk to you later. That's the wrong button. <laughs> Do it. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. There it is. <laughs> <laughs>